one of the ways that we can think about uh, this practice or this path is that it's a path of freedom. I've said before that I would hear that, people say that, teachers say that, and it sounded very inspiring. I was never quite sure what that meant. Uh, eventually I came to understand a little bit more about what that means. And of course there's different ways of thinking what that means, that this is a path of freedom. Uh, you know, when we think, well, it's a path of freedom, the question, of course, is freedom from what? And one of the good ways to think about it is that it's freedom from our stories. This path offers a way to find freedom, to know freedom from our stories. Just think about what that would be if we could find freedom from our stories. I mean, that's something that's really important to reflect on. That is the kind of reflection that we're asked to do, that it really behooves us to do, to spur us to practice. That this is a path that offers us freedom from our stories, that there is a way to find freedom from our stories, our habitual narratives, you know, our stories about ourselves. Now, particularly, we're talking about the stories about ourselves, not the stories about you know, it could be the stories that we have about a politician or the stories that we have about our favorite movie star, but it's not the stories about movie stars or our baseball teams. It's the stories about ourselves. The stories about ourselves, our lives, our uh, relationship to the world or what we think about the world. The Buddha described in the Tanha Sutta, the Sutta on Craving, uh, the ways that our stories uh, uh, the themes of our different stories. Uh, I didn't bring the whole sutta with me, but really it comes down to I was this in the past, I'm this now, and I'm going to be this in the future. So I was not a likable person in the past, I'm not a likable person now, I'm not going to be a likable person in the future. You know, I'm, I was unhappy in the past, I'm unhappy now, I'm going to be unhappy in the future. I'm going to struggle, my life is a struggle, it has been a struggle, it is a struggle, it will be a struggle. The world is a terrible place, the world is a terrible place, the world was a terrible place. I'm kind of interpolating a little bit of what my stories might look like. Of course, you have to identify your stories and see what they are. I mean, just that one way of thinking about it. I was, I am, I will be. This is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be unhappy. I'm unhappy now. I was unhappy in the past. Or again, fill in the blank with however that plays out for you. Or in the past, I wasn't good enough. I'm not good enough now, and I'm never going to be good enough. That's one that a lot of us can identify with. I think. Now, of course, the thing about these stories is. Uh, I, I, I like the term stories because they're stories. You know? They're fabrications. Just like a novelist makes up a story, maybe takes a fact here and a fact there that might be somewhat true and then turns it into something else, a fiction. They're stories, they're fabrications, they're fictions. They're mental constructions. They're mental constructions. That's all they are. 
That's all they are. I mean, what else are they, right? I mean, you have to really look at it and see, what, what is this story? It's just a mental construction. It's just something that we've fabricated. And that, of course, is really the pivotal understanding that it's something that we've done or that we're doing. The term the Buddha uses, of course, is the word becoming, bhava, B-H-A-V-A, bhava, becoming. Uh, and, you know, in the Sutta, the Loka Sutta, where he talks about uh, becoming, uh, you know, he, he describes it as that which is becomes something else. We take that which is and we turn it into something else. Somebody says, Eh, you're a miserable person. And we turn it into a whole story. I'm a miserable person. The story of my life. Somebody says, oh, you're not very good at this. We turn it into a whole story. Or we don't do so well at something, and we turn it into a whole story about ourselves. Something goes, is difficult in our lives, and we turn it into a whole story about our lives and what our lives are going to be like. That which is becomes something else. And the thing about these stories is that uh, they're formed out of some kind of a feeling of aversion and desire. Right? They come out of some form of aversion and desire. You know? So we don't like something about ourselves, or we don't like something about our lives or we want to be a certain way that maybe we're not, or we want something out of our lives. So, these stories of fabrications, the stories, for the most part, begin in adolescence, right? Even if you look at your life, you know, when you're Five years old, you don't have a story about your life. This is how I am. You just go out there and you live every day, right? And of course, the way the Buddha explains this, and it's so true, is that the reason for that is the five-year-old's mind isn't strong enough yet to cling. When the mind reaches its full strength in adolescence, that's when it begins to cling, right? So that's when we start to make up all these stories about our lives, right? People said stuff to us before, we got rejected before, we went on to the next thing. Then we started to make up stories about ourselves. This is who I am, right? It's like when I was in junior high, it was like, you know, it's like, I'm the only guy who doesn't have a pair of really cool bell bottoms. You know? <laughs> it's like, I'm not a cool person. All these other guys had girlfriends or whatever, you know. And I didn't. It's like, ah, oh, I'm the guy who never has a girlfriend, you know, who's always going to be alone, right? We create this story. So every time we engage in a story, you know, we begin with these stories that come out of something that we like or something that we don't like or something that we're anxious about or something that we want that we don't have or something that we want that we want more of. And we create this story, and every time we engage in the story, we create karma. So the engaging of, in the story is an action, and it 
leads to future actions. So it conditions future actions. One of the ways that I like to think about it, and one of the ways, again, that the Buddha described it is that when we take an action, uh, so we take a story that's driven by some kind of aversion, self-aversion, aversion to the world or desire, uh, it's like throwing seeds in front of us. Throwing seeds in front of us. Throwing seeds in front of us. You know, so as we go forward in our lives, there's those seeds of I'm not likable or my life isn't so good. And you know, we come up against those seeds and as the Buddha says, we water them. We water them. You know? And we water, you know, so something happens similar to what happened to you in the past. You know, just watch how those stories get triggered, right? doesn't take much, but you mess up on something, I'm no good, right? And that's what the mind, you know, there's that seed and your consciousness lands on that and you water it. And you go into the story. Of course, it's a little stronger now because, you know, you've had a few other chapters. You know, and you throw some more seeds and then there's more seeds. And then there's more seeds as you keep engaging it. And pretty soon, in front of you, there's just a certain kind of seed, or three or four seeds. And it, you, the field in front of you is completely strewn with those seeds. And that's all you have that you can water. So we engage in certain stories habitually, sort of the stories of our lives. You know, we live in these stories. The Buddha, when he, in that sutta, you know, it was the sutta, occurs at the time right after the Buddha's awakening. And he went out and he looked at the world and he said, all these beings just living out these narratives, living in these stories, living in these fictitious stories. Nobody's present. And it's so painful. It's so painful. And they're creating all these identities. Because, you know, the story, of course, has the character. The stories that we're talking about, of course, are these stories that are about our favorite character. You know, like certain, you know, like Philip Roth had, you know, his favorite characters, uh, Zuckerman, you know, it's like, our, we have our favorite character in our stories too. Ourselves, you know? So this is our stories about ourselves. And the Buddha said he looked out and everybody was just living in these stories. So it's just, we have just these few stories, just a few storylines, a few storylines, a few paths in the mind that we follow again and again and again and again. So our lives, our relationship to our lives, our relationship to ourselves, our understanding of our lives, our understanding of ourselves is extremely limited to these two or three stories. I was thinking about this, talking to some people in some of the interviews. Uh, you know, it's like a few years ago, I decided I was going to clean out my apartment, get rid of all the old stuff, right? I did that, you know, so I went into this big closet that I had, and I started pulling stuff. It was like, oh my God, I can't believe I got this stuff in there. I had this tennis racket with a mold on it that I haven't <laughs> used since the 60s, you know? And all this stuff, you know, old golf clubs, and I got to the back the back of the thing, you know, and it was like this box. I was like, what's in this box? And it was like cassette tapes, you know, <laughs> like from the 70s. And I was like, 
classic rock bands, you know, Journey and Foreigner, Bachman Turner Overdrive. You know? <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, those cassettes, you know, they were all, you know, the tape is kind of coming out and they were all smudged and stuff. It's like our lives are like three cassettes, three of those old cassettes at the bottom of the closet. And we just keep playing. <laughs> Think about it. Every day you play those three cassettes Bachman Turner, Overdrive, Foreigner, and Journey. Every day. You just keep playing them and 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 playing them. Every day, day after day, day after day, day after day. And of course, the interesting thing about, you know, like I got the box of the cassettes. You know, it's like, oh, look at these cassettes. I didn't want to throw them out. I was like, I'm not throwing out these cassettes. Are you kidding me? I'm not going to, there's no way I'm throwing out this Bachman. I might want to listen to this someday. It's hard for us to throw out those cassettes. Imagine how hard it is to give up our stories. One good place to start is start throwing out your old cassettes. <laughs> Seriously, and that's how you begin to start to learn to let go. It's so hard, right? It's so hard. So, this path is a path of finding freedoms from our, our stories. And these stories are like a prison, right? This is a prison that we're in. We're in bondage to these stories. Now, of course, what we can take encouragement from is that these are stories that we've fabricated. These are prisons that we've made. It's not like somebody's thrown us in this prison. You know, we've created the prison, put ourselves inside, locked the door. So it's something that we've created. Which is good, because the way out is just not to fabricate these stories anymore. Just not to fabricate these stories anymore, to abandon them, to abandon these fabrications. And that's the only way out of them, right? We've created them, and the only way out of them is for us to let go of them. Nobody else is going to do that for you. This is the work that you have to do. It's not going to even be done by listening to the Dharma talk. I mean, that can help you understand what you need to do and the importance of doing what you need to do. But it's work that you have to do. Just like you've put all that work into fabricating those stories, you have to put the work into letting them go. And that work is in the spirit of developing wisdom. Developing wisdom. And that wisdom comes from being mindful of our stories being mindful of our stories and looking at them clearly, clearly, clearly in real time as we're engaging in them. And we had some really good examples of people coming in today and seeing their story, uh, you know, their story about their meditation practice or themselves as a meditator and they saw it arising and themselves engaging in it in the meditation. That's great. I mean, that's one of the stories that we have, you know? It's usually a subplot of some larger story. It's like I suck in meditation just like I suck in everything else. So my meditation's not going anywhere, just like everything else in my life isn't going anywhere. You know? 
to see that. that that's great when you see those stories in real time, because that's our, that's our task. And we learn to do that in, on a retreat or in meditation, uh, but really the meditation is more in the service of helping us be, be centered and grounded enough so that we have enough space from what's happening in the mind so that we can observe. And that really, because really, you're going to be engaging in those stories as you go throughout the course of your day. You need to be grounded enough and tranquil enough to notice that that's what you're doing. That's why you know, it all starts with the concentration. And of course, when the concentration uh, is strong enough, we have enough space, and then we can really look and see into the stories and understand the drawbacks and understand that we don't have to hold on and understand that letting go, even though those cassettes are really good, there's something better and they're not really so good. One of the things that we have to do, and this came up actually in the class the other night, uh, it was really interesting. It's like when you look at those stories, you need to know the right questions to ask. Because you, know, you can look at the story and ask the wrong questions and it's not going to get you to where you need to get. You know, the Buddha had very specific things that you need to look at when you look at those stories. I mean, Ajahn Jeff talks about this a lot, asking the right questions, right? Asking the right questions. Because you can look at the stories, but if you don't ask the right questions, you're not going to develop the wisdom that you need to develop. And then it's like, well, why am I still doing it? It's like the guy squeezing the horn of the cow and wanting milk. You've got to know what to squeeze if you want to get the milk. You have to know the right questions to ask. Or it's like the story oft-told of the Sufi uh, jester, trickster, you know, Nasruddin. You know, he was down on his hands and knees, looking down on the ground, you know, near some bushes, and somebody came along and said, Nasruddin, what are you doing? He said, I lost my wallet. The guy said, well, I'm going to help you. And they got, he got down, and they're both on their hands and knees and looking. And the guy goes, I don't see anything. You sure you dropped it here? He said, no, I dropped it over there. He said, well, why are we looking here? Well, the light's better. You know? <laughs> it's like, you're not going to find what you need to find unless you look in the right place. When you look in the right place, then we can develop clear seeing. And again, that depends on concentration. It depends on strong concentration. This is what I spoke to this morning, to really look into the stories and to develop liberating wisdom, you know, penetrating insight, looking in a way that you're penetrating into the truth of these stories. It requires strong concentration, it requires jhana, it requires jhana. That's why we're practicing to develop these kind of, this kind of concentration so that we can develop wisdom in large part into our stories. You know, so you're doing noble work here. Noble work here. You know, sometimes it seems like, well, I'm not really developing concentration. Of course, you're probably developing a lot more concentration than you think you are on these retreats. And if we just keep making the effort, you know, we're going to develop that concentration that we need. And it's really important. You know, we're not just here to become good breathers. <laughs> You know, we're developing these skills so that we can develop wisdom and find freedom in this life. To be free. To be free. 
So when we have this strong concentration, we're able to have equanimity. So we're able to observe. One of the ways the Buddha described that is having the heightened mind, to have a heightened mind. It's like you're above and you're looking down at something. You have a heightened mind. The mind is lifted up from the experience of the story and from that vantage point above the story, you're able to look down on it and understand it and develop that kind of penetrating, penetrating wisdom. You know, the Buddha said, you know, when you really have enough equanimity, you know, when you look in the right place at what you're supposed to look at, insight will happen as easily as a strong man knocking over a glass of water. You know? So it's developing that kind of concentration where you have a heightened mind and knowing where to look. So where to look? Where to look? Teaching talks about five things, seeing the origination of the story, the passing away, the allure, the drawbacks, and the escape. So seeing that the stories originate, so it's really good, you know, pay attention to how those stories arise, right? It's like you walked in today, you know, you weren't thinking about yourself as a meditator, perhaps, and how bad you are. What caused it to arise? Something, it arose, right? It just it wasn't there. It arose. So see, oh, that arose. I had that one bad sitting, and then, or I had that sitting where I found myself thinking about Thanksgiving, you know, and it was like, oh, and, and that thought arose. The story, I went into the story. So it arises. It arises. And then, the next setting, it was gone. Well, where did it go? It passed. So you notice that. You pay close attention to that. Those stories arise and they pass. They arise and they pass. They arise and we hold on to them. We feed on them. That's clinging. We fabricate. But then they pass. Then they pass. When do they pass? When we stop fabricating. Now that's interesting. If I stop fabricating, the story will pass. So you pay attention to the arising and the passing. Why did it pass? I stopped fabricating. That's why it passed. It didn't pass because I rang the bell. The teacher rang the bell. It passed because you stopped fabricating. So the stories arise because you begin to fabricate, you continue to fabricate, and then they pass. The stories are impermanent. They rise, they pass. They're not fixed. They're not fixed. We're not beholden to engaged in the story. You know, it's not a life sentence. You haven't been condemned to listen to those three tapes over and over and over again. It's something that you've chosen to do. It's something that you've done. You've picked up that tape and put it in the old cassette player turned up the volume as hard, as loud as you could, and it was over, you rewound it, never rewinding them, you know, turned it over. You know, that's when they usually would break, you know? you know? And then it broke, and you went and got another one, right? Yeah. It's something you've done. They arise, you hold on, you water those seeds, you fabricate, and they pass. They're fabrications. 
you pay attention to their origination and passing, you see they're fabrications. We're fabricating these stories. They aren't real. They aren't real. If we don't fabricate, the stories pass. What we have to do is stop fabricating. What we have to do is stop fabricating. They're just fabrications. So you have to really look. You know, and that, that sounds like, yeah, they're really fabrications. Yeah, I know, yeah, I know that. No. If you really knew that, you probably would be letting go of them. You know, to some extent, where buying, you know, it's like you go to the movies and you know, you it seems like it's real, right? And then you leave the movie, oh, it's just a movie. Right? But, you know, when you're really in there in the movie theater with a the big screen, you know, your favorite star is really giving a good performance, bravura performance. You know, you think this is real, right? You're crying and... <laughs> yeah, but really, you know, it's like the old Hollywood sets. You know, it's like beautiful Western, you know, but there's nothing behind it. You know, it's just like the facade. It's just a facade. So if we don't fabricate, they pass. If we stop fabricating, we can abandon these stories. But there is that allure, right? We want, I didn't want to get rid of those cassettes. I didn't want to get rid of them, you know? There's that allure. We want to hold on to those stories, even though they're painful. And that sutta, the Buddha says, I look out at the world and all these beings engaging in all these narratives and the stories, and they're painful, but they do it with delight. You know, there's an allure there. Now, we talked about this in the class the other night. I mean, the real problem with the allure is that we don't realize there's an allure. Once you can identify the allure, then you know what you need to deal with. And usually it's not nearly as powerful as you think it is. But we just feel the allure and we act on it. Right? But once you can take a step back and say, oh, there's allure. Do I need to act on that or not? then you've really come a long way in terms of developing insight into these fabrications. I always used to say it's like, you know, James Bond, you know? It's like James Bond always used to seduce, you know, the beautiful woman in the movies, you know? You know it's like, but no, it's like if you, don't, if you know you're being seduced, you're not going to get seduced. We're really slick, you know? We're seducing ourselves. But when you take a step, well, it's, it's maybe a better and maybe more elegant and less, I mean, I, I don't think it's sexist, sexist, but maybe in the spirit of, it's like, I always used to say I was a salesman, right? It's like, it's really hard to sell something to a salesman because I know all the tricks. I know exactly what somebody's doing. I never used to know that, and I, you know, it's like somebody starts to sell me something. It's like, I did that. I did that for twenty years. You know, you're not fooling me. Really hard to sell something to a salesman. What they used to say: really hard to bullshit a bullshitter. <laughs> yeah. So we see the allure, and of course, we see the drawbacks. We see how painful these stories are. We take a step back and we see how painful they are. We see how painful they are in the moment, and we also begin to see how they condition suffering going forward. 
how we're throwing these seeds ahead of ourselves. And we begin to see, and that in and of itself is, 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 is extremely useful, but that insight into the drawbacks in the stories has to be even more in-depth than that. You know, we have to start to see that we're living these very narrow lives. We pull back enough and we have enough of a heightened mind and we say, wow, there's this whole world out there and I'm just going down these three paths day after day after day. There's a whole world of music I could listen to and I'm only listening to these three cassettes. I'm really missing out on so much life. I'm really limiting my experience in this human realm, this experience of life. And we see that we're in these prisons. We're in these prisons. That we're not free. That we're not free. That we're not making the most of our lives. And we're not living in a way that we can know true happiness in this life. And of course, when we take a step back enough, we realize that I'm not making the most of my life. I'm living a very narrow life, but I, and I'm not free, but it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way, because when you look really closely, you see these stories are impermanent, and they arise and pass, and I don't have to fabricate. I don't have to fabricate. And you begin to start to ask, well, what would it be like if I didn't fabricate? You know, in the beginning, it's like, well, let me just try to give it up for a few moments and see what that would be like. Let me just try and see what that's like, now that I've understood that there is that potential for letting go. And it begins that way. It's, like, it's not like, all of a sudden, I'm free. No. Freedom is hard-earned, and it happens little by slowly. Little by slowly, you know, it's like the prisoner, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of hard to go out there into the world. Let me go out, you know, for a few days, you know, for a few moments into the sunlight, and then I'll go back, you know, and then you'll start to get used to it. You start to realize that there is an escape, right? You start to realize that there is a way out. Beginning, it's really the breath, right? It starts right here with the breath. It's like I'm fabricating this story, but I can let go of it and just go to the breath. And that's not so easy to do, right? That can be really hard to do because it's like, I want to engage in that story. I'm missing something. You know, there's that quality of like, I'm missing something. So, but little by slowly, we learn the breath gets strong enough and it's like, all right, I can put that story to the side. I mean, this is on the, just the first level and stay right here in the breath. And I don't have to fabricate. And I can abandon the story for a few moments. I have other options. Because the thing about going to the breath is you start to see that there is an escape. There is an escape. There is a way out. Because, you know, we keep listening to those three cassettes because that's, we think that's all there is. But then we start to see, you know, there is a way out. And I have the ability to find this way out. So, you know, this looking at these stories is something that we need to do again and again and again. Again and again and again, as the Buddha says, repeated reflection. We make the effort to look and pay attention 
We make the effort. This is where the effort goes into. It's like, I'm going to make the effort to look. I'm going to do this because I want to be free. I'm going to do this because I want to be free from these stories. The stakes are high, right? There's a real motivation there to look at your stories and pay attention to them and develop the concentration that you need to to be able to look at them and see clearly. It's like your freedom is at stake. So as we look at them again and again, this leads to disenchantment, dispassion. Disenchantment and then dispassion. We lose the passion for those stories. Partly because we see they're painful, partly because we understand that there's something better, partly because we understand that there is a way out. When we lose the passion for the stories, we just abandon them and we're free. I mean, this is happening all the time, right? You know, we're engaging in these stories and we're just living in these stories and we're prisoners of them, right? I had this article that I've been wanting to write actually for a long time and uh, it's not a meditation article, uh, but it's, it's, it's a really good article that I've had this idea and I've you know, talked to some people about and I actually have somebody I know that, a very well-known magazine that I can pitch the article to you know, so I've been kind of going through this process over the last few weeks, and the story keeps coming up, and I'm like, who are you kidding? You can't pitch this article to this magazine. You're not good enough for this magazine. There's no way they're going to laugh you out of the place. Why are you even spending your time doing this? You don't have what it takes to do that. You know, I wanted to be a writer, you know? I wanted to be a writer. I followed that story for most of my life. That story ruled my life. But enough space to see, okay, there's that story. There's that story. You know? You know, and enough awareness of it too. You know, to see. Okay, it's there, I don't need to give into it. It's just a story. It's just a, you know, you get enough space, you see, oh, it's just a fabrication. That's all that is. Previously, that's like, okay, that's the story that I'm following, that's the story of my life, this is who I am. No, you get enough, it's just a fabrication. I don't have to, I don't have to follow it. Instead, I'm gonna do what I need to do to fulfill my wish to be happy. I'm gonna take an action based not on the habitual pattern of that story, but based on what I need to do to support myself in fulfilling my wish to be happy. I need to follow my heart. So we can abandon these stories and these narratives and we can be free. This is in large part why we practice. I mean, the Buddha said in that sutta, the holy life is lived, the abandoning of becoming. Ultimately, it's lived for the purpose of giving up these stories. And instead of living out these stories for our lives, living from the heart. Living from the heart. That's Because you have to have an alternative, right? It's like if there was just that story and now you can't do this, if I didn't have something else that I could 
come from and another place that I could come from and another way to live, then you know, all I know is those stories. You know? It's like all we know are those stories, that's what we're going to follow. But through the training of the Dharma, you know, we learn to be able to be connected to the heart and live from the heart. All right, I can do this coming from my heart. You know, I can trust my heart and I can come from right here. So the heart guides us in our effort to be happy. You know, we're guided in our effort to be happy by the understanding of what is in our best interests and uh, the movement in the heart of love. The thing about acting from love is an interesting thing because it will guide you to what you need to do to fulfill your wish to be happy and love is also an antidote to fear. So when you come really from the heart, fear is superseded. Fear is not a factor when you come really from the heart. I mean, the stories to a large part are you know, driven by fear. The heart, you know, the more you're connected to it, the less fear there is. So instead of playing out our stories, you know, what we do in those narratives, we learn to come into this place of silence. Into this place of silence. And in the place of silence, asking what is in support of my wish to be happy, and just listening. And just listening. That's why the silence is so important, because it's in the silence, you know, that we're able to hear and to know and to discern the path that we need to take. It's in the silence. It's in the silence. Zen called, they call it the beginner's mind, right? I mean, you have that beginner's mind, the mind that's empty of any stories. It's like the child goes out there into the world. So we're open to what the heart shows us. We don't know. This is the thing, we don't know. Because all we know are our stories. So much life, so much potential for happiness, so much potential for taking action in support of the heart and finding happiness in this life. So many things to do that we haven't done. So many ways to affect the heart's sure release. Dr. Thoreau said, the universe is wider than our views of it. I mean, our views of it are so narrow. It's one of the themes I used in my book, right? Our, our, our view of the universe is so narrow, limited by the limited vision that we've, our vision has just gotten narrow and narrow. You know, the universe, the potential that we have in this life is vast. If you can indulge me for a couple of extra minutes, I, you know, you gotta read your Thoreau. I mean, you can tell, I've read this. This is my old college Thoreau. You've gotta, many of you know this. words. I left the woods for as good a reason as I went there. Perhaps it seemed to me that I had several more lives to live and could not spare any more time for that one. It is remarkable how easily and insensibly we fall into a particular route and make a beaten track for ourselves. I had not lived there a week before my feet were a path from my door to the pond side 
and though it is five or six years since I tried it, it is still quite distinct. It is true, I fear, that others may have fallen into it and so helped to keep it open. The surface of the earth is soft and impressible by the feet of men, and so with the paths which the mind travels. How worn and dusty, then, must be the highways of the world, how deep the ruts of tradition and conformity. I did not wish to take a cabin passage, but rather to go before the mast and on the deck of the world, for there I could best see the moonlight amid the mountains. I do not wish to go below now. I learned this at least by my experiment, that if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. He will put behind some things, will pass an invisible boundary, new, universal, and more liberal laws will begin to establish themselves around and within him, or the old laws be expanded and interpreted in his favor in a more liberal sense, and he will live with the license of a higher order of beings. It's when we embrace the unknown, embrace the unknown, and move out of our habitual patterns that we find the joy in life. This is where life is the sweetest. This is where life is in the sweetest. You know? This is life. I mean, life is a process of change. So when we embrace the flow of life, we're in tune with life. This is where life is the sweetest. We meet every day like it's a new day, every moment like it's a new moment, because it is. We abandon those stories. We break free from our habitual patterns. This is the joy in life, to be free. 